Welcome back to this season of the Digital Orthopedics Podcast, where we bring you the audio files from the DocSF Experience 2022. I'm Dr. Stefan Albini, your host for this podcast and the founder and chair of the Digital Orthopedics Conference in San Francisco, brought to you in partnership with the Department of Orthopedic Surgery at UCSF. In this podcast, we'll hear from Gary Bradsky about the future of computer vision. He is the Chief Scientific Officer at OpenCV.ai. The end of this conversation, where he talks about how humans perceive the world, is really fascinating. Let's join Gary on the DocSF stage in San Francisco. So when we think about the other segment of AI and imaging, computer vision. Computer vision is everywhere. When you think about our security systems, manufacturing inspection systems, autonomous unmanned vehicles, computer vision is essential. And of course, it is in all of our digital imaging. What happens with computer vision? We've got somebody who's expert who's going to help us understand this. But part of what's happening is that there are data and images that get stitched together to help us see things and oftentimes to see things that we don't actually see, that we're not trained for. Our guest, unfortunately, <laughs> tested positive for COVID. And so he's sent over a video for us to be able to share. But Gary Bradsky is the founder of OpenComputerVision.ai. It is the world's largest library. It's been around for about 20 years. It has over a million lines of code. It's free and available for research and commercial. And there's probably nobody better to help us understand this computer vision than Gary. Hello, I'm Gary Bradsky. I'm doing this by video because I tested positive for COVID. I'm okay so far. So I'll be discussing OpenCV in the future of computer vision. So a little intro to OpenCV. It's both a computer vision library and a nonprofit foundation, as we state here. It's the world's most popular library. It gets about uh, 200,000 downloads a day, mostly through Python. It's mature. It's started 20 years ago, mostly in C++, but has interfaces in Python, Java, JavaScript. It's large and comprehensive. It's widespread, has a large active community, and it tends to be decently efficient. So the areas that the library covers are, as you can see, image processing, geometric transforms, image fitting, optical flow, segmentation, on the bottom, calibration and geometry, SLAM, depth, deep learning. It, it does inference very efficiently, especially on edge architecture and computational photography, and includes the supporting data structure and other interfaces to that. So this is just a look at our sponsors. We have a lot of large and smaller corporations that we work with. So OpenCV has a commercial side separate that does contracting so here you can see some of the things that we've done, a lot of medical work, sports work, AR, VR, and uh, a number of things like shopping and grocery checkout, shopping and other things. We also uh, partner with hardware. So this is a smart camera, the Oak OpenCV AI Toolkit. It's a depth camera that's smart. It has four teraflops of processing on it. So the stereo and deep nets on it, and this is used quite extensively. We also offer this marketplace of models, many of which work on the Oak, and uh, they tend to be optimized and highly functional. So there's a little video 
showing what were uh, some of the things that are being offered and and there's a little uh, representation of some of the things on the left okay OpenCV is used all over the place as i said it, it's got many millions of downloads 200,000 downloads a day at least for python and build bots and so we'll cover some of the uses just a few and uh, video and broadcast first so on the left you can see image stabilization on the right very robust trackers that we have so tracking objects and uh, tracking for stabilization here and i'll just let this go a bit to watch anyhow moving on we also do things like colorization, as you see the original video on the left and the colorized version on the right that's being done in real time. Here's segmentation above as someone in their living room and, and then they're cut out and put in a scene. Below is uh, driving and through streets, so for automotive. Some other things we did in broadcast, here's stable tracking on the left that from a drone, and on the right was um, some movie work. You can see, can overlay very stably a fictitious car, so that car isn't there. It's just a dune buggy, and this was done on stage um, in the movie form. And uh, Super Bowl stadium footage is uh, on left, so very stable tracking that we're able to do things with. So here's some uh, pictorial tools that are useful. There's a lot of stuff, factorizing, lighting from surface. Uh, below that is color calibration, I mean, Beth charts, and high dynamic range. Other things are, as we've seen, colorization or color transfer. That right, color constancies, so trying to keep a constant color in a scene. And then uh, some fun stuff like tilt shift photography to make things look like a toy model. Here's cartoonization, super resolution. There's a small resolution image is blown up. You can see the blur, but it's restored on the right. And this can be done in medical imagery as well. OpenCV is used extensively in robotics. So here's some of the list. It's used in industrial pick and place. It's used in logistics. It's used in eyelash placing it's used it kicked off autonomous driving it's used in factories on to home vacuum cleaners so this is a use we did industrial perceptions a company that sold to google and here we just for fun we we actually did this for Larry Page's birthday party where we were handing out party favors using this. OpenCV was instrumental in autonomous driving, and this is a DARPA Grand Challenge where Stanley, our team, won the $2 million prize and really kicked off autonomous driving. So here you see Boss, the CMU, is starting off, and that's followed by Stanley. Just skipping ahead, there's the race as it went. Um, this is when we're passing uh, boss you can see the 3d lidar scan and then going down the mountain pass and on to uh, the finish line as you see it coming so here's some more modern uses in autonomous driving so lane detection car detection sign detection pedestrian protection uh, detection uh, stoplights and recently we've been using this in agriculture so on the left is um, road detection 
detection and, and path planning, the path to follow, people detection. And on the right, you see a robot that's following a person for, say, harvesting. They can carry things on it, and then uh, the person can walk down the row. And let's just show a little bit of this. Let's see. We speed it up. So it follows him wherever he goes and stops when he stops. Okay, OpenCV's use in, uh, or Vision's use in medical. Uh, so some of the things that have been done are skin detection for treatment and conditions. This is a summary of a lot of things uh, that have been done in uh, vital sign detection by a regular camera, blood flow again by a regular color camera. And we got first place in a 3D tomography segmentation in 2020 contest. So other things that can be used, this is body tracking. This is also used for sports, but any motion and uh, identifying body parts. So it's pretty robust. This is a robotics application in eyelash extension. So this is uh, someone's eyelash and it's epoxying uh, new eyelashes onto it. That's by Loom. Uh, so here's a Odena is doing using OpenCV for pathology detection, as you can see. So moving on to new areas. So here's a list of emerging areas. So self-supervised learning, use in driving, understanding, autonomous driving, deep vision on edge devices. So we saw the OD camera already. Predictive 3D solutions to protein folding. That's alpha fold up upper right. Growing use in agriculture. I already showed that. This is FarmNG tractor, for example. Use in medicine, um, below center is Gauss surgical blood loss tracking and generative models uh, for art and description, that's uh, bottom. And also for understanding causality, which I'll talk more about. So first, self-supervised learning. Here's two examples of what is done on top right with mask out a lot of the image and ask the network to predict the rest and iterate on that at different images. So it learns to the structure of images in the bottom. You see, we get a bunch of images and do transforms of them, but we, in the middle of that network, it's focused on learning the same representation for this object. In this case, it's a dog, and then you'd feed other objects in. And so it learns this representation to be the same for each object that it happens to pass. Here's an example of deep generative models. So for example, upper left, uh, it's asked to draw the same cat in a drawing manner, and the network generates that. Uh, bottom is uh, a chair in the shape of an avocado, and that's generated by the network, and so on. This is a nerve neural radiance field, so it learns a generative compact model of an object. And you know, this is using the OKD camera. This was for a contest we ran. And this is it. It's just a Lego set, a spinning object. It's learning a few views, and then it learns to generate this object from any view. So almost none of these views have been seen before, and it's just generating because it has learned a full representation. The network itself represents this object. And you can see possible uses with um, speeding up MRIs by being able to capture basically the whole thing in much fewer views. So lately, and to me most exciting, is the learning causal models. Those are descriptive 
what happened, explanatory, why did it happen, predictive, what will happen next, and counterfactual, what would happen if. And so uh, there's a lot of work going into this. To me, this is getting closer to real AI. And so you can see a causal model model on the right that's learning uh, these things about this physics scene. And the results, as you can see in yellow, are much better. Descriptive has already been done pretty well, but explanatory, predictive, and counterfactual, much less progress, but this model's done substantially better. So this kind of thing is starting. So I'm gonna end this talk with talking about causal simulation as it pertains to general AI through vision models. Okay, so we ourselves have a, a causal model of the world. We don't perceive the world. The analogy is say on your um, computer user interface. For example, there's a trash can there, but I'll tell you, there's no real trash can inside your computer. And physicists will say, you're right, the trash can is made up of quanta pixels. Ah, but that's wrong. The real reality is this strange von Neumann architecture beneath it all. What's true is we have a causal model. So if you move things into that trash can, they'll be deleted. This is an analogy for our own perception and any perception. And so, Here's an example that's a famous Knixa triangle. So you have illusory completion of the boundaries if you're looking at this from the right distance. And the brain is imputing this causal model that it's actually in 3D and the triangle is floating above these complete circles. And that's how this illusory contour is inferred from vision. So we're not seeing the world, we're seeing a model of the world. It's a causal model. And again, this is simple when you think uh, left about just points of view of two objects in 3D. You can see it, the pictures below show you get a completely different percept, yet we perceive it the same. And so on right, there's a famous, this is in Stanford's Hall, a famous illusion. So you can see when something is seen in 3D versus the actuality, the scene looks normal to our view, but when you move that the back, the guy in back forward, it's, it looks very strange. So the outer world is actually a causally simulated inner world. The outer world exists, whatever it is. We create a causal model of it that's much more sparse, and and so you know, here's some drawings by my friend of this. So the simulation is causally sufficient, but it's not true. It doesn't contain the whole world like any model. And so I like to say, what is beyond the sky, right? Above you, what's beyond the roof? Well, it's the inside of your skull. And this is pretty obvious on reflection. So we live in our own simulation bubbles. I like to say, when you wake up, the dreams don't end. They just connect to a data source. And so we're simulating the world kind of like we live in our own matrix, if you saw the movie. But it's not a machine, it's our own perceptual apparatus. So we simulate also our social selves and the social dynamics. You'll see this in the dream when you meet people and often there's things you're discussing. And um, in fact, you simulate yourself also. So when we apply a social simulation of others to our model of ourself, then I'm suggesting that that's kind of the pathway to self-awareness or consciousness. And that's where I end this talk. Um, hopefully I'll be around for questions. Your key insight that you, when, yeah. you, when you heard him first talk about this, you emailed me right away and said, oh, 
this whole thing about seeing things. Yeah, so I had the opportunity to speak to most of our speakers ahead of the situation so I can understand where they're coming from, their point of view is, and always insights. But that last piece to me was just one of those moments where you stop and realize that you just learned something that changes the way I think. If we, we started discussing computer vision and the computer can't see things it's not programmed to see. So what we saw for the last 20 minutes is how they program computers to see things and how good they're getting at them. Not just first to define things, but then inferring things and now creating within what they see causal relations that actually create a series of things that happen that actually meet physical standards like physics. Those little balls are hitting each other. Now, he then switched to say, well, he kind of offhandedly said, well, of course, that's how we see the world as well. I'm like, well, no, that's not how we see the world. I see the world. I see everything. My perception is that I see it. And he's like, well, no, you see a very small part of it. And then you interpret it your own way. And therefore, you really don't see anything. And I'll say, okay, let's, let's go over this again. What? Yeah. what? So it reminded me. You see what me, you want to see. You see what you're yeah. programmed, you're programmed to, see. to see. It's not what you yeah. want to see. It's what yeah. you're programmed to see. You can program yourself to see things. But the thought I had at the moment, I'll share it with you. And we'll get back to this. Is this idea that. My wife and I went on a uh, safari when we got married and I would get out of the Jeep and the guys would say, hey, you see that leopard up there or whatever, that lion? I'm like, no, I don't see any lion. They say, no, it's right there. It's like, I don't see it. They give me that goggles and I still don't see it where it's on the third branch, like third branch, if I see it. And they can see it from a mile away. They've been trained to see it. I can look at an x-ray very quickly and I can see a fracture. People who aren't trained and it can't. It just reminded, it was just an interesting, just mind shift that we actually perceive only that which we're trained to see. And if you start applying that to everything from politics to medicine to everything, you have a bit of a shift in the way you think about perception. And, and this year um, at South by Southwest, Amy Webb, who's a futurist, she gives the tech trends talk every single year with the tech trend report that they bring out. And the theme that she has this year is reperception just because of AI. I mean, that's a, the big piece. And she opened up the conference with this screen up there that looked like it could have been some type of an x-ray film. Bunch of pieces missing out. She said, what is this? And people are looking at it, looking at it, and they can't see it. And she said, and I'm going to rewire your brain because I'm going to outline it and I'm going to show it to you. And then you're not going to, you're going to be able to not see it. So, you know, people are staring at this, staring at this, staring at this. And I actually thought it was like a skull with um, a dental x-ray on the, on the side view. When she started outlining it, it was a front on of a, of a cow. And so when she outlines the ears and the eyes, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's right there. And she said, that's the thing about the future is that it's right there. The data doesn't change, but our ability to perceive it and our ability to have the vision around it. So taking that in mind, she said, you know, when you look at all of these new technologies and these things are presented to you, just know that a lot of this is we have to have reperception. A lot of the, you know, that's what computer vision is doing on the technology level. But I think as humans, we have to be open to that reperception. And in many ways, that's why we're here this week. To rewire you to think about technology differently and how it can help you in whatever aspect of digital health and technology you're going by seeing what's possible possibly will trigger an idea was was feasible but also realize that if you judge the future with the lens of the past you're gonna miss it you're gonna miss it we hope you enjoyed this presentation and will consider joining us live in san francisco for doc sf 2023 when we will explore how digital technologies will enhance support and enable the expansion of the outpatient surgery arena Register now to join our mailing list at docsf.health, docsf.health, and be the first to access our limited tickets. DocSF, join the revolution.